Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. We are back into our old ways. We put out a Chasing Perfection, and the next day we get schedule news. It was undefeated during the regular season. It's holding up in the offseason as well. UConn announces two new non-conference games for next season, both of which came immediately after we recorded or would have recorded. Starting with the first one, UConn's finally going to play this long-rumored, long-expected game against Louisville. I looked it up, and this has been an ongoing saga, more or less, since November 2019 when Jeff Walls announced on his radio station, or on his radio show, that they were going to play UConn at, I think he said Madison Square Garden in like the Legends Classic or something, or maybe he said the Barclays Center. And then UConn's response was like, yeah, no, nobody's actually agreed to that. And that's not where the Legends Classic is held anyways. And then it didn't end up working out because UConn couldn't fit in any more non-conference games by moving to the Big East. They had four less non-conference slots by moving from a 16-game conference schedule in the American to a 20-game conference schedule in the Big East. Then it did happen when the pandemic hit, completely upended UConn's non-conference schedule. They were supposed to play UConn's third game of the year, Friday, December 7th, I want to say is what the date was. And then, of course, UConn has that positive test from a non-player or coach. Their first three games all get wiped out, and that game never happens. And then rumors swirled about that game possibly being rescheduled for some point during the regular season for pretty much the remainder of the year. And then it never happened. But finally... UConn Louisville is on the schedule officially. What are your thoughts? I mean, it's definitely a good game to add. I think Louisville has been a team the last few years. That's just consistently been a really solid program. So it's another strong non-conference opponent that UConn's going to see, obviously always good to get more of those kind of test type games in their non-conference schedule. So it's a good add. I think, you know, where Louisville is at right now. They just lost Deanna Evans on top of, you know, kind of some of the losses they've had in terms of players graduating in the last few years. They're probably not going to quite be at the level that they've been at, you know, in, in prior times when UConn played them, especially the last meeting, I think it was that, or well, the second to last meeting, I guess, that Louisville beat UConn, but then UConn won in the Elite Eight. So not quite the same team that we saw then and maybe not quite as strong of a program, but still a team that's got some really good players obviously a really good coach in Jeff Walls. So should be a good matchup. Right. I feel like there's always at least something interesting that goes on with these UConn Louisville games. I think it was maybe three years ago now where UConn jumped out to that huge first quarter def or lead. And then Louisville kind of came back the entire game slowly. And then they just weren't able to close the gap, but it was like one quarter was all UConn and then three quarters were all Louisville, but it wasn't, enough and then yeah you mentioned the loss that they had in the regular season a couple years ago then i mean that ncaa tournament elite eight game the final score really isn't very indicative of how close that game was i think when katie lou samuelson hit that three-pointer and then got the and one with it it was still a close game at that point so it's just always a fun game it's always entertaining with jeff walls involved i mean for all the sound bites and quotes that Gino has, I feel like Jeff Walls is pretty much like right up there with him. I remember the last time 
they played, or I think the last time they were in stores, someone asked him like, Oh, do you want this uh, rivalry to, or do you want the series to continue? And he went, absolutely not. Unless Gino like finally loses to us or something <laughs> like, Oh no, I don't want to keep playing him. If we're going to keep losing jokingly, of course, but it, there's just always something like that with Louisville. So it also just helps to get those brand names on the schedule. Technically it's a neutral site game, but Mohegan sun is a lot closer to Yukon just geographically than it is to Louisville, Kentucky. So I feel like that'll be a pretty good place. I can't think of too many times Yukon's played marquee non-conference games at Mohegan sun. The few I can remember, like have they played Oklahoma there twice and then maybe Florida state. And I think Texas is mixed in there. So not bad games, but Louisville is like one of the biggest names in women's college basketball. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what that crowd is like. Agreed. I think, you know, it's a, it's a big game. It's probably going to be earlier on the, it's an earlier big game on the schedule because it's in December. I think just looking at right now, it's on the schedule too. There's not a whole ton of big games that are going to be home games that are on the slate. So I would expect that turn out to be good, especially because like you said, Mohegan Sun is pretty close. I think the fan base usually turns out when games are there. It's also a good, like, little, because there's, it's a doubleheader, right? There's two games, and it's Baylor and Michigan as the second game, which is a Sweet 16 rematch. It was a really good game in the Sweet 16. First look at kind of Nikki Collin with that Baylor team against a, a solid opponent. So it should be a really good set of games there. December 19th is the official date for that. I think also just another really interesting matchup going into this, which I feel like it's going to be similar to Iowa in the sweet 16 where it's not going to be a one for one matchup per se, but Pagebackers and Haley Van Leith, two of the best freshmen last season. I think if you kind of ranked it, it was Pagebackers one, Caitlin Clark two. Von Leith has probably an argument for number three in there. She was at least in that group of some of the better freshmen in the country that weren't at the same level as Pagebackers and Caitlin Clark, but that's still going to be a really interesting matchup. She should be a lot better after not only playing a full season, but having a full off season to get better. It's definitely going to be more of her team next season. So whereas this year, a lot of what she did, correct me if I'm wrong, was kind of being a sidekick to Dana Evans. Dana Evans is gone. The reins are going to get handed over to Haley Von Leith for pretty much everything. So that and Paige Beckers, that's going to be a fun matchup to finally watch those two go against each other. Yeah, agreed. I think Haley Von Leith is a really fun player to watch. Like you said, Dana Evans is gone, so it's it's really going to be more of her show going into this season. And I think that matchup between her and Paige was such a big reason why people really hoped that game got rescheduled. Last year, there were two of the freshmen that were kind of definitely the most talked about coming into the season. She was one of the better freshmen all season long, so it'll be fun to watch those two kind of go head-to-head, obviously, like the Caitlin Clark matchup, not quite, you know, one one or anything like that but will still be a fun matchup to watch they play similar positions it's going to be fun to watch and i'm really looking forward to getting to see that matchup finally yeah i think there is something to the non-conference schedule next year it's going to be a little funky because they only have two home games scheduled the second of which just got announced this past week the tennessee series is going to continue uconn's going to host tennessee just like this past turn in Connecticut, we don't know if it's going to be XL or Gample. I'm going to take a guess and say it's probably going to be XL just because you can sell more tickets to that one. No date announced. And then they're going to travel back to Knoxville for 2022-23. So very similar to this last series where home first for UConn and then away the second year. 
I was a little surprised when I saw this come across just because when it came out initially, Gino, or maybe even after the first game, Gino was very, 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 very adamant that the only reason this game was happening was because it was going to benefit the Pat Summit Foundation and the Hall of Fame. And Gino felt that anything that UConn as a program could do to help those two organizations were something they should do. But there were clearly some bad feelings still between UConn and Tennessee's athletic departments, especially Gino and Tennessee that probably originated when the series got canceled originally back in 2007, when Pat summit lobbed some unsubstantiated recruiting violation accusations at Gino, mostly when it came to Maya Moore, then obviously the whole of, Westbrook thing happens where UConn was not shy about outright blaming Tennessee's athletic department for not supporting the waiver and also for, and because they didn't support the waiver, she wasn't able to get eligible, which ultimately works out for UConn. I'm still hoping that we get to the point where because Tennessee didn't support the waiver, now Avina Westbrook has this season to play. And in this season, she's going to help UConn win a national championship. So if Tennessee just supported the waiver like they should have, she's probably not here this year. And she wouldn't be helping UConn win a national championship next season. But then just with all of that, that happened and Gino kind of being down on it, I was a little surprised, but he did at least seem to change his tune when it came to this past year. I think he said something along the lines of everyone thinks that I said, I'm not going to play this game. If we want to play this game, we can, it's just not on the schedule. Like he very much hedged his bet and changed what he was saying after that second game. So I was a little surprised to see it on, but either way, it's good to keep it on the schedule. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think this past year's game was a really, really good game. It kind of proves that, I mean, Tennessee's been coming up and up on the schedule or getting better, I guess is the right way to say it. Over the last few seasons, they kind of had a little bit of a dip there, almost didn't make the tournament one year, still made it. But they've had, you know, a couple, a good team the last couple of years and they keep getting better. So good to keep on the schedule. And now they're kind of tougher conference opponent, the SEC is still really stack stacks. So playing teams from that league is definitely a good test for UConn. Right. Anytime you can get the sec on the schedule is a good thing. <laughs> I also think Fulmer is out as Tennessee athletic director as of this year, which probably, I don't know if that made all the difference, but Gino clearly didn't like him from everything he said. I, I don't think there is much, there is much love lost in that connection. That helps. It seems like he and Kelly Harper have a pretty good relationship. I mean, Kelly Harper seems like a pretty easygoing, non-controversial coach, at least at this point in the rivalry. They haven't, well, they played a competitive game this past year, but it's not anywhere near where it used to be. I think that's also a big part of it. Tennessee's competitive and they're getting better. These games should only be more competitive as the years go on. I mean, even that game two years ago, the first one, UConn and was down at the half. Tennessee just kind of fell apart in that fourth quarter. UConn's defense got really good in that fourth quarter. Aubrey Griffin was just causing chaos everywhere. And then this past year, you needed a Paige Becker's game ceiling three with an injured ankle to beat Tennessee. They also needed a big comeback in that second game to even get to that point. So there was a lot of that game where it looked like UConn could potentially lose. 
So I, just in that regard, it's still good to be playing because you're getting a competitive game. The SEC is such a tough conference. And with that, you're just going to get boosted on your NCAA tournament resume too, because as we've seen the last few years, if UConn doesn't go into the non-conference, if UConn doesn't go into the NCAA tournament with a perfect record or a near perfect record, they're probably going to end up as a two seed regardless, especially if there's other really good teams in the country. SEC teams, having as many of them as you can on your schedule, that's always going to help your resume, help your RPI, help your net, if that's actually going to matter next season. So just for that alone, I'm happy that this game is continuing. Yeah, exactly. Always good to get any kind of tough, tough tier opponent, NCAA tournament opponent. I mean, there's only so many of those in the Big East. It's not a big sample. So teams that are going to make the tournament and be ranked throughout the season are always good to have on the schedule. I also remember when this game got announced, my almost initial immediate thought was, okay, this is kind of cool for women's college basketball. Like, I think it's good to have it come back, but it's just never going to be what it was. So we shouldn't really pretend like it's a rivalry anymore because it's just not like these two teams every single year were fighting to be the best team in the country. Most of those games that they played in the regular season were one versus two matchups. They met a bunch in the final four, whether it be the semifinal or the national championship game. I mean, UConn's first five national championships, every single one of them, they had to go through Tennessee at some point to get there, which is just incredible when you think about two teams could meet that often, have such high stake games. I, I guess kind of the way Notre Dame was in more recent years, but there was just never anything like that. And I don't think it can ever get back to that. I don't really know if it's possible to even replace that again. I mean, UConn, Tennessee was such a unique thing. And then the fact that there was such a ready-made replacement in Notre Dame where they kind of picked up that mantle and had a different type of rivalry where they'd play sometimes four times a year. And two of those games would be with trophies on the line. But even still, it never had that, intensity and that white hot I guess anger that UConn Tennessee had and when it came back I just felt like it could never reach that so why even try and then even after the first game I kind of felt like it was a little dull a little muted I don't think it helped that wasn't that game like immediately after Kobe Bryant's death or am I confusing that with the Tennessee or with the USA game yeah it was the USA game it was oh, okay. right after Kobe's death but then this year's game happens and maybe it was the more unique situation that you have this game where people can get on zoom for a call and you can have people from all around the country asking questions as opposed to a normal year where you have to be in person for it. It seemed like there was just a definitive buzz around the game this year. And then obviously having the drama that unfolded during the game helped with UConn's big comeback page getting hurt her rising from the dead to hit that shot. I mean, that game was just all over sports center the next morning and even big games that UConn plays. I mean, they talked about UConn South Carolina for a bit on sports center. Not that this is the best measurement of how important a game is, but it's a good idea of what higher ups at a big sports company are pitching to a general audience. And you figure that if they're showing highlights of UConn, Tennessee, that still resonates with a general audience in a way that really any other rivalry besides Notre Dame probably won't. And the fact that it's going to be competitive and even if there's not that same anger and 
resentment between the teams themselves. I mean, there was to a certain degree with Avina Westbrook, but nowhere near like it was in the old days. I still think there's a lot of value to that. And I think there's just a lot of value to this being a really good game for women's basketball. I remember reading the Tennessee book, UConn Tennessee book by Jeff Goldberg. The reason it started was that ESPN wanted a game with two big women's basketball programs on Martin Luther King day. And they wanted UConn for one, because they were just in the elite eight and they were going to play Tennessee, but Tennessee said no. So then ESPN called up Pat summit and it didn't really work with their conference schedule, but Pat summit agreed to do it for the good of the game. I think by continuing the series on into the future, even if it's only two years right now, I feel like there's a good chance that it continues on beyond that. I think that's still really good for the good of the game because you're going to get a lot of casual fans involved. And if you can get a casual fan just sitting down and watching Paige Becker's play, that is going to convince a lot of people to continue watching when they're not playing Tennessee or just having casual fans reading about the game or looking up highlights of the game and then stumbling onto other things. It's just so good at building the game. And it was such a huge part of bringing the game from being almost completely disregarded in terms of television into not being equivalent to the men's game, but at least these companies are trying to brand it and broadcast it and market it more than they were 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago when this rivalry was at its height. So all that's just a very long way of saying, I still think it's really good for them to be playing this game, even if it's never going to be that rivalry that it used to be, even if it's going to take different forms, even if it's not Gino versus Pat. I still think it's good for the sake of women's college basketball to continue playing this on an annual basis. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's exactly it. It's not going to ever be the rivalry it was. That was so much about it being Gino versus Pat and then two programs that were kind of just at, like the top of college basketball consistently in UConn and Tennessee. Obviously, UConn's still been at the top consistently. Tennessee has not. So it's not without Pat and without, you know, kind of the sustained excellence from Tennessee it's not going to be what it was but it's still a really good game it's still two huge names in the women's basketball space that when you put it on national television draws attention people are going to watch and I think like you said that's just so huge to have people that are casual fans sit down and watch women's basketball games is how you can throw the game and how you get people invested in watching more Paige Becker and watching more of Ray Burrell for Tennessee whatever kind of player it is but without, you know, those big kind of big ticket games that are really easy to market, it's harder to grow that casual audience. And this is one of those games that everyone remembers, you know, the Gino versus Pat, even if you're just a casual basketball fan that doesn't really pay attention to women's basketball, you're probably aware of that old rivalry. So you're going to sit down and watch this game and hopefully it brings more fans to more, you know, when you cut playing Marquette or whatever on Fox instead of Tennessee, but it's, it's still a really good game. It's still going to be competitive. It's still going to have on the schedule. Never be what it was, but that doesn't really, that doesn't mean it's not worth playing. Right. I mean, the amount of people that I talk to that I'm like, I know I shouldn't be surprised how many people watch, but like there's so many people in Connecticut that are watching UConn women's basketball, whether it be every game, whether it be some games, whether it even be just the big games. But I think we kind of use this as a measurement of what's the casual not even fan, just like the casual average person thinking in terms of how many messages are you getting after a game from your coworkers that aren't huge basketball fans. I feel like for Tennessee games, you're probably going to be getting more of those, right? 
Yeah, exactly. So just with that, yeah, it's so beneficial. It's also just good for both programs. I mean, it's disappointing that we didn't see a full Knoxville Thompson bowling arena because of the pandemic this year. I mean, UConn comes back in 2022-23. That is going to be a packed house. It is going to be loud, and that's going to be a really difficult place for UConn to play. And then even to a certain degree this year, with kind of how weak, at least right now, the non-conference schedule is, do you want to play, go see Notre Dame, who, yeah, they're better than they were, but it's not probably going to be that competitive of a game? Or do you want to see Tennessee, where coming off what happened last year, Tennessee is going to be better. UConn is going to be better. That should be a really good game. If those are your two main non-conference options, that Tennessee fan, that Tennessee game is going to draw a ton of fans to, like I said, probably the XL center. So it's just, it brings benefits to every, to both schools, to the sport, to everything. And yeah, I think just continue rolling this on a two-year cycle or a four-year cycle like it is for Notre Dame. Just keep the game on the schedule. And if you miss a year or two here and there, I think that also could be a good thing because then it just keeps the freshness of it. I mean, if UConn was going to win every single game by 15 like they did in the first game, yeah, maybe you schedule that every two years or something to keep it fresh. But I think the second game has really shown that Tennessee is going to be a competitive team going forward and they don't even need to be a national championship contender every time out. If they just put up a good fight and make it interesting for 35 minutes, let's say that's probably good enough. Exactly. And I think when we look at just like the way rosters look right now, there's only a handful of teams that are going to look like national championship contenders the next few years. So, you know, if Tennessee's not one of them, it's, they're still a better team than a lot of other teams that UConn is going to play. So it's still going to be a good game. Like we saw last year, it was really close. It could continue being that even, it might not be as close as it was last year. Like Paige Packers might not need to win it on a buzzer beater, but it's still going to be a good game. They're still going to be able to put up a fight. They have the talent to do that. So might as well keep it on the schedule. Right. So the rest of the non-conference schedule at home, UConn's going to play Notre Dame and Tennessee on the road. They're going to play Oregon and South Carolina. And then for neutral site games, there's Louisville and also the battle for Atlantis, which is going to be three games that leaves two openings left on their non-conference schedule. I think you kind of have to hope that those are going to be games at home. I I'll, I'll be honest. I don't actually love the 20 game schedule in the big East for UConn women's basketball, just because do we really need to be playing St. John's home and away? Do we really need to be playing Providence, Georgetown, Xavier, Butler? Do we need all those teams twice? Those are just both going to be blowouts. And it would be more interesting to have like Maryland and Texas. I mean, Texas is already scheduled. Maryland's been rumored, but just have more non-conference games. Even if like it was 18 instead of 20 to have those two more games, because especially this year, you could end up having three non-conference games kind of like a couple years ago where I think UConn played like once at the beginning of the season and then once in like late December for non-conference. And that was pretty much it. It does ebb and flow, but if you have two games left to fill, I feel like you should try and get those at home just so that, I mean, just more opportunities for fans to get to more good matchups for fans to see because we know that UConn fans aren't swayed too much by winning games by 50, but it's still more exciting to watch a competitive game, even if it's not necessarily one that UConn is going to sweat out a win, than just 
blowing out Butler by 45. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I would have to imagine at least one of those would be at home, just unless you kind of going to open the season against Tennessee or Notre Dame, which would be surprising. I think uh, they're probably going to need something at home to, to open up. So at least one of those will hopefully be home. We would hope that both of them are home because like you said, the home slate right now, is just, it's not that exciting. So hopefully you've got big names in Notre Dame, but it's just, I, they're not going to be that great. They didn't make the tournament last year. They'll hopefully be better this year, but I don't see them necessarily being like a lock to be a tournament team. So be hopefully they can grab someone else maybe another more competitive opponent to play at home the last time that they had fans during a season 2019-20 they were billing that as the greatest home non-conference schedule ever for UConn because there was Notre Dame which obviously that game didn't end up being as good as it was then they also played Baylor at home Tennessee at home and then Oregon at home those are four incredible non-conference games not even to mention they had that exhibition game against the U.S. women's national team like that is just an unbelievable home schedule so to go from that to then yeah Tennessee's good Notre Dame is a solid name at least and maybe having one or two more that's a pretty hefty drop-off yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of a letdown of a, a schedule, especially after a year where you couldn't have fans in the building all year long. So people are itching to get back out to games. And while I'm sure people will come for all the Big East matchups, they want those big ticket games on the schedule. Oh, I will say they could probably play like EO Smith's JV team. And that first game at home when fans can finally come back. Like they would sell that out three times if it was possible, because I think people are going to be so eager to come back for that. So yeah, I imagine Notre Dame and Tennessee aren't going to be that first day, that first game, especially that first game at Gamble. So those feel like maybe they'd be those mid-level opponents. Like uh, they've played Dayton before the Oklahoma's. I mean, obviously they're in the conference now, but like when they play Seton hall, those type of games feel like, what might line up for the opener? Yeah, let's play something like that. I guess, honestly, you could play Notre Dame there because they're probably going to be worse than those mid-level teams that you listed off, but yeah. right, <laughs> Right, but I still feel like Notre Dame is going to be a good draw yeah. just yeah. in terms of the fan base, exactly. especially yes. going off uh, not playing last season, if that makes any difference. I don't know. Yeah, no, I definitely think it's still a big draw, and the casual fan also probably doesn't realize that Notre Dame is bad right now, so. Right, and, like, maybe they take a step forward next season under Neil Ivey. Uh, I think I've made my feelings on Notre Dame clear. I don't think they're (laughs) ever going to be at the level that they used to be. I think Muffet really just torched that program on her way out with that last season, but, you know, we'll see. (laughs) We are going to take a quick ad break and come back to chat about UConn and the WNBA. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. So we haven't actually talked about anything in the WNBA since we did our WNBA preview about a month ago now. So a lot to get into. I think first and foremost, Diana Taurasi is out for, I don't know if they have a timeline yet, indefinitely with a cracked sternum. Is that like 
the correct injury terminology. That's the word. English. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think they've said fractured sternum. Um, and I think they said a, at least four weeks, but yeah, definitely. And there's been no updates since kind of like, is it just going to be four weeks or will it go beyond then? I guess it happened when she was actually in Connecticut playing the Connecticut Sun, but then she like didn't get an x-ray or anything until two games later when they were back home. So she played two games with a fractured sternum and then is now out for four plus weeks. See, I just don't understand first, like the play that I saw where she supposedly cracked her sternum, she didn't really get hit all that hard. Like to crack your sternum, I feel like you need to get like, not just hit hard, like physically thrown like onto the court. And then like, once you get thrown on the court first, like it's gotta be a couple repeated blunt, like trauma situations. Like, I just don't know how you crack your sternum especially on what seemed like a very not docile play but just it didn't seem all that violent or forceful yeah exactly i agree i would have assumed it was like a type of injury that you would need to like have like this huge collision or this big impact thing to crack your sternum but i guess not i don't know (laughs) i'm not a medical expert by any means so who knows but (laughs) yeah so she's out though for four plus weeks which Honestly, it hasn't been as bad for Phoenix as I would have expected. They are, I think, three and one since she's been out. So um, doing pretty well. Part of that is due, of course, to that Tia Nurse buzzer visitor against Chicago. That was actually the last game Phoenix played, which was last week. So yeah, even without Tarasi, though, Phoenix has been, I think, better than I expected when I saw that she was out. She's really part of their kind of big three so I thought it would be really difficult for them to replace her and kind of find some success with her out but they're three and one they lost one to Las Vegas which is and they lost that game by six points so it was a close loss to one of the better teams in the league and then they've picked up a win over Dallas and then two wins over Chicago in in that span the last game against Chicago was last week and Kia Nurse hit probably like one of the most insane buzzer beaters to win that game that I have seen in a long time. She basically like Euro stepped at the half court to sink <laughs> the half court shot and get the win for for Phoenix there. So just a really crazy moment for Keener. She's really been solid for Phoenix in all four of those games in uh, Tarasi's absence. Right. Anytime you can have a buzzer beater from beyond half court, like that's impressive in and of itself. But when you add in the fact that she like had to work to even get open for that shot, like it's just, you don't see those type of shots very often. And when you do, like they're always on repeat on your Twitter timeline, on YouTube, when you're pulling up highlights on sports center, like they're just everywhere. And the reaction was great. They had that one clip or screenshot of the entire team dogpiled on Kia Nurse, and you can just see her screaming at the bottom of the dog pile. Yeah, that photo was great. So if you haven't seen that, like definitely go look for it on Twitter. It's a, it's a great shot, and yeah, just an insane shot. I think afterwards too, when they asked her about it post game, she said that she like never hits the half court shots in practice. So she was really glad that that one went in. So she picked a good time. It doesn't matter if they go into that practice. So she she had a good time for it to actually go down. <laughs> Right. I put a photo of 
I put both the video of the game-winning shot and also the reaction that we talked about in last week's weekly. So depending on when you listen to this, it's the one about the non-conference schedule wish list. So you can go look there for it. With Diana Taurasi out, sticking with UConn Southwest. Megan Walker has been starting in her absence, which is something I absolutely would not have predicted ever, actually, in my life, that Megan Walker would be replacing Diana Taurasi in any capacity. Yeah, honestly, when I saw the starting lineup for that first game that Tarasi was out, because I was curious who they were going to start, because I think Phoenix has this really solid core of players that have been starting, and then it's kind of like a lot of question marks off the bench. It seems like they use different people, different amounts every game, but Megan Walker slides into that role. She's been holding her own there, not putting up any flashy numbers by any means, but been playing well for them, has stayed in that starting spot, so she keeps earning her place in that starting lineup for the last four games, so... Yeah, quite the the shift from playing like two minutes a game on a very bad New York team last season to now being a starter on a team that's currently fourth in the standings in the league. So in your opinion, is this a matter of the New York Liberty just have absolutely no idea what they're doing? Or has she actually been substantially better this year in order to justify getting more playing time and even getting starts? Yeah, I think it's part of both. Like, I honestly don't really understand what New York did last season. They won two games, so I don't think they knew what they were doing either. Um, but <laughs> I do think, I mean, I think Phoenix is a good fit for her in general. I think had she been drafted there last year, she probably would have found more success. They needed some three-point shooting. That's something she can deliver on kind of right off the bat. I think it's something that's easier to transition to the league, whereas like things like playing defense and stuff t- typically take some time to learn. But I think we've seen some, I saw her play in person when they were at Connecticut. And I think there was definitely some, some big strides in her game. She looked comfortable out there. I thought she played good minutes for Phoenix and that's kind of continued through these games where she's been a starter. So it does kind of feel like she's turned a corner. I don't think she's necessarily like, I think she's lucked into a situation where she's a starter right now. I don't know that she's kind of a perennial starter in this league, but I think she's in a place where she could be a consistent contributor on a lot of teams. It's at least an upgrade from our last show where we were discussing, she needs to actually show that she can play basketball. Otherwise she might be out of this (laughs) league considering how hard it is to come by roster spots at this point. So at least she's at a point where no longer is she fighting to prove that she belongs in the league. I feel like she's gotten to that point now. And now it's just a matter of building on playing time, improving on what she does when she's on the court and things of that nature. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, maybe Phoenix is just a much better fit too. I think we see that a lot in the league right now is a lot of it is just the right fit. I think you see it with Lasia Clarendon, who's like New York waved a couple of weeks back. She didn't have a role on that team, but then Minnesota picked her up and she's been starting. She's played a lot of minutes and Minnesota has been better. So it's a lot about not just like who's the best players in the league, but the fit and being on the right roster. So maybe Walker's kind of found that situation in Phoenix. Right. Not that we really need to underscore how clueless the New York Liberty can be with some of their (laughs) personnel decisions, but like releasing Lasia Clarendon kind of felt like one of the ones that really highlighted (laughs) that. Yeah. I mean, she was only playing like two minutes a game before. That's how I guess why keep someone on your books. That's not going to play, but agreed. I, not a decision that made much sense to me either. Well, it's also like 
she's probably a player that should be playing two more than oh, yeah. two minutes a game. Like I, that's more what I mean. Like that's kind of part of the whole issue. It's like, okay, we have this good player. What is our plan to do with them? All right. Uh, play them two minutes a game and eventually let them go so that they can be more successful elsewhere. Yes. You get a raise. Like, <laughs> like what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think people were like not so critical of New York at the start of the season because they were doing well, but it's, it's been sliding. And I think if you look at their schedule, it's not really surprising that they've been sliding. And yeah, I'm interested to see where they actually finish. I'm, I'm not as high on them as I think a lot of people were when they thought they'd come out and win a few games. At least they have good uniforms. Like they have that going for yes. them at the very least. <laughs> At literally the very least. <laughs> Sticking with the UConn super teams out West, going up to Seattle, Brianna Stewart. Yeah. Still good at basketball. <laughs> Shocking information. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Stewie's just being Stewie. Her and Julie are really carrying the Seattle team right now, but they're at second in the league standing. So it's kind of been enough so far. She's been, I think she's at, still averaging a double-double it's just been really, really solid for them. No surprise. Um, definitely. I don't think not a front runner for MVP right now, but definitely in that conversation per usual. And it's been really solid. So it'll be interesting to see kind of a Seattle figure some things out down that stretch, how much better they can be. I think, like I said, she and Juloid and super have been really consistent for this team, but there's definitely some question marks with the rest of their starting lineup. Uh, Katie Lucy Ellison was in that starting lineup the start of the season. So she's come back from three by three trials uh, or three on three trials. She's, you know, hasn't been in that starting lineup and hasn't played as well as she did in those opening two games, maybe just a couple, a little bit of rust. So it'll be interesting to see if she can work her way back in there. Um, but overall, a really solid start to this season from Brianna Stewart. I know everyone's shocked to hear that. <laughs> okay. So if there is a hypothetical let's say all-star game and mm-hmm. you were picking for one team. Would you rather have Stewie and then the other team would get to pick their entire roster before you get your second pick? Or would you rather not have Stewie and then get to pick everybody else? Oh, that's hard. <laughs> I feel like I would want to pick the whole roster first. I just think there's like, I don't know, so many players that you would want another all-star team in addition to Stewie, but it's, it's like a hard debate at least. <laughs> right. Well, it's, do you think Stewie and the all-stars 13 through, I don't know what, 25 or 24 are better than the players two through whatever the number is. Look, I, I was told there would be no <laughs> math, but like you understand what I'm saying. Like it's basically a matter yeah. of is Stewie so good that she elevates everybody else or is everyone or is like she just not at that level which is like (laughs) just being human basically yeah I don't think she's quite at that level but I at least have to stop and think about it so I feel like that's itself but I feel like she needs like it would be hard for her to do it with like you know just 13 to 24 like if you could pick one more like from the top I think you could probably or say that it would be better to do that but um I think it, she's almost at that level, but not quite there. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Still, like like you said, the fact that like we can actually have a debate about it, though, like that's just 
insane in and of itself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of the three-on-three trials, as you mentioned, Katie Lou Samuelson is going to the Olympics along with Steph Dolson. Those two, in addition to Alicia Gray and Kelsey Plum, qualified for the Olympics as we all kind of expected. Also, the men's, the U.S. men's three by three team didn't qualify for the Olympics, so I guess it shouldn't be taken for granted. I have no idea how that happens, but at least. Two more UConn players going to the Olympics. I feel like they're probably going to be favorites to win gold, which when you think about in worth in the practice gym for UConn women's basketball, they have an entire wall of players that have won gold at the Olympics. There could be two more names on that wall. And it's two players that probably weren't going to break into the full national team, the senior five on five national team. Lou's been there a little bit, but she's definitely a fringe player. I think the same goes for Stephanie Dolson. So it's just really cool that two more UConn players are going to be going to Tokyo this summer to compete for a gold medal. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, players that wouldn't have necessarily gotten that opportunity with the, the full team, but awesome that they get to get this opportunity with three on three, which I believe this is the first Olympics that has three on three basketball. So yeah, new thing. I honestly don't really understand how it works. So I've got some learning to do before the Olympics starts, but I'm excited to see them compete for, for a medal there. And like you said, I think they can be considered a favorite to, to medal and probably take home gold. So it would be exciting to watch that. When it got announced that they qualified and that was on Twitter and everything, one of my friends in a group chat asked me, how do they even pick this team? Because it's obviously different from the senior national team. And I, I didn't have an answer. So as I started to look, one of my other friends in the group chat responded, step one, you look and see who played at UConn. Step two, pick those players, <laughs> which not that far off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I do think the one thing interesting thing here is too that like Alicia Gray and Kelsey Plum are both names that have been in that you know national team grouping as well. But I guess players that will not be playing with the the senior team to kind of confirm. So it kind of narrows that that pool of who you're looking at for the the senior national team to go to the Olympics. Also, every single person on that four-on-four team, all four of them, have been coached by former UConn players too. Kelsey Plum played at Washington when Morgan Valley was one of the assistant coaches there, and Morgan Valley actually gets a lot of credit for Kelsey Plum's development. And then Alicia Gray currently plays for the Dallas Wings, where Kelly Schumacher is the coach, former UConn center. So UConn Connections through and through with this team, in addition to Katie Lou Samuelson and Steph Dolson. So yeah, something in addition to all other stuff going on in the Olympics to, to tune into. A couple other players that have had pretty good starts of the year. Tina Charles, after sitting out last year, after escaping the New York Liberty, we fully understand why now. Off to a great start with the Washington Mystics, her former coach, Mike Tebow. She's more or less been carrying that team, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they have a couple other players that have helped, but she's leading the league right now in points per game. She's averaging over 25 points per game. So really just insane start to the season for her. Fortunately, it hasn't really been quite enough to get, you know, Washington over the hump and actually win some games. They've only won two games so far this season. So they're definitely struggling to start off. They're still without Olivia Delbron. I don't know exactly when she's expected to be back, but I think... It's probably going to be, it seems like it's going to be a struggle for them until she comes back. Um, so hasn't been great as a team, but Tina Giles has just been 
going off. I don't think there's been many players in the, in the league so far that have been successful at trying to guard her. So I feel like just both at UConn and now in the WNBA, she has to be one of the most underrated, like former UConn players. Like she definitely doesn't get enough credit for what she did at UConn. UConn wins two national championships, was a national player of the year. I actually don't know off the top of my head if she has any records, but I imagine she does. And then wins rookie of the year, her first year in the league, right? And then has been a WNBA MVP. Just such a great player that I just feel like doesn't necessarily get her due for how good she was at UConn and how good she currently is. Yeah, exactly. She's also like a seven-time all-star in the league. She's just been so good and consistently good in in the league. And I agree, she doesn't really get talked about that much, maybe Part of that is the fact that she's been trapped in New York for the last few seasons and on a team that just has not been good. Um, so that that can definitely be a part of it. But even at UConn, I just and probably because she overlapped with Maya so much, and you know Maya is just Maya Moore. I, I don't really know. There's no other way to put it. So she probably got overshadowed some there. But a player that definitely deserves more attention for her time there and her time in the league. To be honest. Yeah, I mean. You talk about underrated players at UConn. Like, if Tina Charles isn't number one, she's one B. Because Svetlana Abrasimova, I think, like pretty comfortably holds the title of players who just do not get talked enough and talked about enough. I mean, she was a three-time All-American, Svetlana, and nobody ever really mentions her name ever. So she doesn't get her due. Tina Charles doesn't get her due. Another player who doesn't get her due, Tiffany Hayes. She's been a very good player in the WNBA. And I still feel like she's super underrated. Yeah, exactly. Like not a name that comes up that much. I feel like when you like talk about UConn superstars in the league, I mean, Renee Montgomery was on the dream with her for quite a bit of time there. And I feel like you definitely heard more about Renee than you did about Hayes. Um, But another player that's been off to a really, really good start too. Atlanta's on, I think they might've just snapped a win streak of four games, but they've been, yeah, they just lost to Minnesota, but they were on a four game win streak that she was a huge part of. Uh, she's been really just a, a big part of their scoring 18 points a game, 10th in the league for scoring right now. Atlanta's backcourt is really good too. They've got a lot of young, good players there and she's definitely kind of carved out a, one of the most critical roles there and just been a big part of Atlanta's success so far. I think they're kind of sitting at the middle of the standings for a team that didn't make the playoffs last year. So uh big Tiffany Hayes is is a big part of that I feel like it also doesn't help that she's on a team like the Atlanta Dream who have so many personalities and just headline players I mean from Courtney Williams to Kennedy Carter to Ari McDonald I feel like I'm missing someone in there but like that is just if you were gonna make a season-long documentary about a team have like a hard knocks you pick that team and then you get a second documentary crew to do a documentary of making the documentary because that's just how interesting <laughs> that team is. Like, so it kind of makes sense that she's not a huge personality. She just kind of dominates quietly. Maybe that's some of it, but still, she has been a really good player in the league. And especially after opting out last season, helping CB Avenida with Katie Lou Samuelson get to the EuroLeague final, win the Spanish league. She's had a very, very good, I guess, last eight months or so. Yeah, exactly. A really solid last eight months and still kind of, I feel like, flying under the radar. She's, like, tied for the 
leading scorer on the dream with Courtney Williams, but I think you hear Courtney Williams and Kennedy Carter's names thrown around a lot more there, which I mean, makes sense. Like you said, they're big personalities. They're going to get the attention, but um, just kind of a, a player that's really helping this team that's flying into the radar a little bit. So just to wrap up, if you didn't listen to our last podcast, I know we don't deserve full credit, but I like to believe that we spoke this into existence. We talked about how Connecticut should have an NWSL team just because they don't have one in New England. Hartford and just the general area of Connecticut has been, has always had a ton of women's soccer support. National teams come here all the time. We are getting a women's soccer team in Connecticut. Hartford Athletic is one of the founding partners in the USL's W League. It's going to be an amateur league to start. I kind of feel like they're going to try and eventually turn it into a division two type professional league, similar to what the USL is on the men's side at the very least. I have to imagine it's eventually going to be semi-pro and yeah, it's not NWSL. Like I kind of feel like we were both hoping for, but it's a lot easier. I think to get an NWSL team, if you have an existing team with really good fan support with success on the field, all those sorts of things. So maybe this is just the start that we need to get that NWSL team. Yeah, I hope. Well, that's not English. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hope so. Um, like I said, I mean, it's just, it's still a woman's team. I think it's great to have something else going on at Dillon Stadium too, because I feel like the athletic they don't have that many games, so something else is going on at the stadium. I'm excited to have a women's team. Hopefully, it leads to an NWSL team. But I think either way, you're going to get good support from it in the region. People are excited to get out to things, especially in Hartford and stuff. So. I'm excited. I guess it's not coming until next year. So people are going to be less excited to just get out of their houses when it comes, but people are still right. always been supportive of women's soccer. So. Right. Especially if they're, it, it's very good that they're with Hartford athletic because then it's not like you have two competing clubs, almost trying to jockey with each other. Like it's all going to be one club under the same umbrella. You'd hope at least, like it's tough to say, put the same resources into a amateur women's team as a professional men's team, but you hope it's at least equitable where similar training, similar marketing, similar money spent on like equipment and those types of things. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, even though like the idea of just amateur soccer doesn't get me that excited. I'm hoping that it's going to be a bridge to something bigger down the road in the future. Agreed. I mean, the NWSL is keeps expanding they announced another team today for san diego so hopefully that means that maybe a connecticut one will be coming soon as they keep growing so we can hope that would just be incredible yeah (laughs) (laughs) that is going to do it for this episode of chasing perfection you can follow megan on twitter at megan gower you can follow me on twitter at daniel v Connolly. be sure to subscribe to the yukon women's basketball weekly sign up for the premium also subscribe to the show here we are going to be moving in the somewhat near future at some point this summer at the very least i feel comfortable saying that keep tabs with everything you need to know about the women's team on the yukon blog normally i'd have megan send us out but after some behind the scenes discussion we've determined that there's just absolutely nothing happening in the next two weeks to mention so that'll do it thanks for listening